0: Check one, check one, two, three. Hey, everybody. It's Michael Helms, also known as Michael the Sound Guy, and this is the Location Sound Podcast. You know, each episode, we talk with location sound mixers, boom ops, and other industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location whether it's for feature and independent films, TV commercials, interviews, any time where dialogue from actors is recorded. I started my career in the recording studios in New York City with some of the big artists back in the day, and later on projects for networks like HBO, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Cartoon Network. As time went by, I got out of the studio and began working in production sound. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, thanks for joining us. All right. Hello, my friends. My guest today is a San Francisco, California-based production sound mixer for commercials, film, TV, and corporate. Please welcome Jesse Mills.
1: Thanks very much, Michael. Thanks for having me.
0: Glad you could be here. All right, Jesse, when you're working as a production sound mixer on set, tell us what's in your audio kit. Just give us a rundown of your mixer, recorder, preferred mics, and everything in between.
1: Okay, great. I have a couple of different audio kits depending on the job. I use a sound devices 664 for more complex work or with higher channel count. I have a 744 uh, for kind of ISO only projects or effects recording or anything with a very high dynamic range. You know, effects like for example, or live music, something like that. And then I have a little mix pre kind of simple portable production recorder that, you know, is kind of like my little backpack rig. So I'd love to take that if I can, kind of depends on the job there. And I kind of just build bags for particular jobs. So I have a general setup, but I I typically take the time to kind of customize a bag for uh, whatever's needed.
0: All right. Tell us about your wireless mic
1: setup. So wireless mic setup is uh, mostly electrosonics. I have a couple of the SMQV transmitters uh, that I just got. I got a good deal on some older gear a while back so i'm still using some of the little tiny mm400 uh, transmitters which are the little waterproof ones uh, with the 2.5 millimeter input so those are really nice because they're similar to like a ssm in, in the size single battery type deal got a one of the hma transmitters for xlr inputs and uh, still using the 411 uh, receivers and uh, one LR receiver actually for a camera hop. And then I also use uh, just the regular Sennheiser G3s, the ubiquitous ones uh, for camera hops. Yeah, that's pretty much it for wireless. I have, oh, I have a couple of little Sennheiser handheld mic wireless and break those out as needed.
0: All right. What kind of uh, lav mics do you like?
1: I just jumped on the DPA train uh, about six months ago and I love them. You know, there's uh, a lot of info about how clean and clear, transparent they sound. So I went and got uh, four of the DPA 4060s. I have a couple of other little whatever mics, and I have one Cos 11D. I have uh, some older trams. So a little bit a bit of a mixed bag, but I'm mostly relying on the DPAs because they kind of work for everything; uh, they're reliable. And how about your shotgun mics? So shotgun, um, using the uh, Sheps CMIT and uh, one of the uh, CMC sixes with the MK forty one capsule. So those sound pretty much great, you know, for outdoor and indoor, respectively. Um, also have a four sixteen, which has been sort of a uh, workhorse uh, for a long time for me. Yeah, that's kind of my shotguns. I have uh, a big kind of mic bank from recording music and stuff too. So, occasionally, I might bring out one of those uh, condenser mics if I need an extra coverage in some form or fashion, uh, extra mic on a boom or something.
0: All right. And uh, how about timecode?
1: Timecode system is all Deniky. And um, yeah, I got into their Stuff because they've been doing it for a long time and I kind of trust their really rugged quality. Um, I just got uh, two of the JB1s uh, recently and have a Tenneke old school timecode slate. Yeah, I like their products. I like the JB1s. They obviously last forever on their battery, a little USB charging lithium battery. They're super lightweight and they have a little screen on them, uh, which is bit of an advantage over time code systems that don't have a little screen. So you can kind of know what you're doing without having your uh, phone out all the time. And uh, what kind of uh, power distribution do you have? I used to use sort of an older system that uh, a friend helped me build, uh, but I just recently got this audio route, which I love uh, with the two switches on it. I, I, it's like Smart something, something. The nice part about that is that you can block out different parts of your bag and switch off your wireless independently from your recorder or vice versa if you needed to. And so that's running on a a smart battery, 98-watt-hour smart battery. All right.
0: And what bag do you put all that stuff in?
1: So I have three bags of kind of varying degrees of uh, lifespan. I have a super old petrol large bag for large bag setups. Um, I got one of the OR28, I think, something like that, Orca Super small bag, what I keep my seven forty-four in for the most part. And then I have a little tiny porta brace for the mix pre kind of backpack rigs. I also have some speakers, you know, for playback if if needed. You know, I've got an IFB system. Generally I'll rent the IFB system uh, because I'm using a bit of older technology. It's a seventy-two megahertz IFB. It's not necessarily older technology, but it um I think everything moved to two sixteen megahertz. Uh, it's a little bit cleaner, but the seventy two offers the same you know great range and has a little bit higher noise floor. So one day I'll be upgrading to the two sixteen base system or something even better. We'll see it's kind of a budget uh, decision.
0: <laughs> I understand. yeah. all right. Well, uh, you know you work in the San Francisco area, so kind of tell us a little bit about what that's like.
1: Uh, Working in the Bay Area is really nice. Uh, The community is very supportive of one another. Uh, It's kind of a grassroots sort of vibe. It's a smaller network for sure of directors, producers, and uh, filmmakers when compared with like LA uh, or New York or something like that. So, you know, the nice thing is that we have this tighter knit community and there's a lot of support among sound mixers. I'm a member of the North Bay Sound Mixers group and we support one another through info sharing, gear sharing, uh, hiring members of, of sound teams, things like that. It's a different ball game in the Bay Area compared with, you know, L.A. or places that they do sort of more features and, and narratives and things like that. But it's very, very supportive and, and people, you know, get to work and it's, it's a great place to be.
0: All right. Well, uh, let's talk about some of the projects you've worked on. I saw one, uh, you worked on a documentary called Leave Your Shoes at the Door. So tell us about that one.
1: Really interesting documentary, Leave Your Shoes at the Door. Uh, This was an ecstatic dance documentary. And so sort of movement-based practice to kind of bring people out of their minds and into sort of a free flow meditative state, if you will. Uh, A lot of interviews, uh, one-on-one style and some outdoor group sessions where everyone would kind of be moving in this large group. What I would do there is I put up some plants and a couple of boom mics. You know, clearly we can't really lav people in that situation where they're rolling around and doing this kind of full contact movement-based work. But it's it's really it was a great project. It took a couple of years to put that one together, so that was kind of an on-off on-off uh, sort of deal, which a lot of documentaries are. Uh, but if you stick with you know documentaries, there's really good results. Um, I like that realistic sort of work. I like educational uh, work and things like that. So um, yeah, passionate about making documentaries and you know educating the public.
0: Well, I, I was looking at the, I guess you had a little trailer on your website. So explain to the audience like what is ecstatic dance?
1: Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> not an expert on ecstatic dance by any means, but hmm, I guess if you can imagine sort of a scene, where people get out of their day-to-day story of of what they're telling themselves, and they create an, an open space in their mind where they can uh, freely somatically express themselves. And uh, typically, there's a group of people, so it's kind of a supportive community. Yeah, people, you know, rolling around and and doing their own thing, and um, it's it's maybe like a form of expressive dance or something like that. And it's, it's often found in, you know, obviously the party scene or a scene like uh, Burning Man or any of the larger parties uh, where people have this freedom to be who they are and uh, move uh, freely.
0: Okay. Check out his uh, website, everybody, and uh, take a look at that. It's kind of interesting.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. So also you worked on Punch the Coyote recently as a sound mixer. So tell us about that one.
1: That's true. That was an interesting short uh, project. It uh, shot over about a week or so, and uh, different locations. That was a North Bay project. Yeah, it was. It was a challenging, you know, project for sure. We had a limited time frame, limited budget, a new director on that one. It was sort of a drama comedy, and uh, it was being built and kind of rewritten as we were shooting it. So that was one of the. Main challenges of that project. One of the actors uh, was a, a relatively well-known uh, person who was in an HBO series. He was great actor and uh, also, you know, advising and trying to give um, information to the director and the DP as far as blocking and uh, delivery and performance and things like that. Uh, so we had. Some great, great advice there, and yeah, it was a really quirky uh, short. Uh, you know, we had a, a dog actor in there, so I was, you know, at some point I was miking up a dog with a boom, and uh, you know, it was it was funky. It was really goofy. There was a, a morphing of a dog which played a coyote into a human, and then a remorphing of that human back into this uh, coyote character. So really fun, really fun, and uh, a good project. Okay,
0: so you were kind of booming the dog, and what was the other audio setup on that?
1: So this I was using the six six four. Uh, part of the scenes I'm trying to think back. You know, we did an outdoor sort of winery hillside scene. We did a indoor sort of log cabin scene. We went out in the woods a bit. So mostly this countryside work, where it's nice because we have a little bit more sound isolation, and we can just kind of run and gun and, and make things up that are. You know, not necessarily scripted. Towards the end of the project, we did sort of this um, little fisticuffs fighting scene outside. So, got some nice uh, boom perspective on that. But I try to um, think like some of the great filmmaker, you know, sound people, as, such as uh, like Mark Ulano and others who are advocates for perspective, meaning that when you're booming, you're trying to get, you know, roughly where the, where the camera's at. And so that means kind of being tighter or further away, based on where the what the camera angle is doing, how wide the camera is. So you know, keeping that in mind, working in a, a tight space, which was the kind of cabin with a bunch of crew, that's always a challenge. So uh, in some cases, I had to plant stuff and uh, just be out of the out of the room, and you know, with labs of course uh, rolling all the time. So it was a great, great project. And um, we had a a car scene in that uh, project too. So, you know, miking up a car is always a good experiment. Um, This was an old kind of rusty pickup truck. So inside the truck, we didn't have like visors or really much to attach to. Uh, So I put a plant in there and just, you know, gaffed the heck out of it. And it seemed to stay in place for sort of a drive in, drive out sort of scene. It sounded pretty good, you know. It sounded like a the inside of a metal truck, you know, if you can imagine that.
0: <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Now, uh you also do some sound for live streaming. So, tell us a little bit about about that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, part of my background is in live sound and recording, so I currently, you know, do a lot of corporate work, corporate commercial type stuff that's kind of the bread and butter for the Bay Area. And in that, a lot of companies are moving towards live stream content. So what's involved from the audio side is creating a mix for what's happening in the room, sort of a live mix for the people attending participants. And then a separate mix for the people at home, often, if there's a budget for you know you know an a a two or assistant uh, sound person to to do that mix. Sometimes I'm doing it myself. That's a little bit more of a challenge. I compress a little bit just to to bring levels up on the stream. And um, it's kind of a one-shot deal. Uh, we can't really go back, so it's got to be right. And so, in those cases where I'm doing live stream video production work, I really double and triple check everything to make sure we're getting a good level, make sure if someone is having a microphone that they understand what it is and all of that stuff and where where it's located, you know, so they're not touching their mic or anything like that. I give a little bit of a rundown to the person that I'm putting the mic on uh, about what all what we're trying to accomplish uh, so we can get good results.
0: Are there particular live stream systems that you you work with more than others?
1: Well, I'm using a live stream producer quite a bit, so that's from livestream.com. It's kind of their service. As far as the the camera switching system I could go into any, just about any camera switcher. The main thing is, you know, I need to monitor what's going into their system as well as what's coming out of my system. So I wanna make sure that it's good on the, the end of the, the end user. So that would be the person at home watching the live stream. So I'll typically, you know, monitor the feed that's coming into the board and then compare that with what's coming into the live stream and uh, make any adjustments there sometimes you know when you eq something uh, like an individual mic or channel for what's happening in the room you may need to do something different on the mix uh, for the stream so i kind of keep that in mind and yeah just want to have a consistent level for people at home and all that
0: all right cool well i I noticed on uh, your instagram you did a live house concert and you were all set up on the kitchen counter so can you tell us a little bit about that
1: project That's very true. You know, the kitchen counter is the closest place to the snacks. So it's where I like to be. Yeah. So this is uh, part of actually a house concert series that a buddy of mine, who's a filmmaker up in the North Bay, uh, put on. So we had these really incredible musicians come out over the course of about two years. And it was called the Sacred Music Concert Series. And he is a filmmaker as well. And so this was inside of his. Rather large living room with a nice kind of A frame style ceiling. You know, so the acoustics were nice in there. And we set up a PA system and invite bands to come in and we give them a full fledged, really high quality uh, multi cam uh, video recording. And so we, you know, put up uh, direct spot mics and room mics and all that stuff and give them a really nice uh, audio mix down as well as uh, a video edit bands were really happy. You know, we brought in some bands that had very little or zero video content. We had one of the NPR Tiny Desk winners that we did a video production for, Galen Lee, I, I believe is how you pronounce their name. Yeah, a lot of great folks. It was really an intimate setting and nice to just have a cup of chai and, you know, record a band and, you know, sit back and, and uh, make it a beautiful experience for everybody. I saw one, you were, you were
0: working on this project, it's a live event, and I saw people lying on the floor, and it was for sound meditations, so tell us about that one.
1: That's true. So for a few years now, um, I've been supporting this group, SF Sound Meditation, and what they do is they offer this Sound Healing Symphony, which is sort of a collaboration and collection of a bunch of different sound healers from the Bay Area and really throughout California. And so we bring all these people together, crystal bowls, gongs, flute, an instrument called the monochord, a little bit of vocalization, vibraphone, and they perform in this really beautiful and peaceful meditative sort of sonic landscape or atmosphere, whatever you want to, the indescribable sort of, you know, sonic performance. And people lay down and meditate to it and it's been extremely popular and people... Love it. It's it's sort of a simple way to tap into a meditative state or tap into the universe, whatever you want to call it. You know, people uh, living sort of high stress lives really seem to appreciate it uh, coming in. So, uh, what we do as far as sound logistics is um, typically we perform in larger spaces like uh, the Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, and that is a challenging space for sure. It's you know got 60 probably foot Concrete everywhere, you know, 60-foot ceilings and uh, a very highly reflective space with probably, you know, six uh, milliseconds of delay. So it's it's really big and live sounding. So we try to mic things as close as possible, and we set up this really dispersed sound system. So we don't have giant towers. We have on the order of probably 25 uh, speakers out in the room. So we have these you know zones and. We don't have to crank it, and we're keeping the energy tight. So yeah, it's it's a it's a live sound performance. We also record these sessions, uh, do a multi-track, and they're about to release some more of that content. They also live stream those uh, events as well, and it's been hugely fun and popular. They're a lovely group. You know, they're very supportive of the production team, giving us food and drinks and whatever we need, and you know if we need to bring some more gear in or some more people they're they're all about it so it's it's really great.
0: Now, what are you usually mic'ing these uh, the, sounds like some very interesting instruments.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a learning process to figure out what works best, but you know, for the gong, for example, I have kind of a low frequency mic on it as well as a condenser mic and I separate those one to pick up the lower frequency energy and one for the sort of mids and highs. It's kind of these are very pure sounding instruments, so you learn pretty quickly what range they start and stop at. There, there are overtones and things like that, they're fairly controllable. So, there's a handful of condenser mics. Uh, the, the crystal bowls get dynamic mics because they can really be very resonant and uh shoot up some uh, spiking in the audio signal there. So, usually just put some dynamics three or four of those on the bowls. Yeah, we have Didgeridoo and things like that out there, which has a really lovely deep tone. And every performance is different, so you know, I kind of have to be on my toes and watch them and anticipate what they're going to do next. So it's it's great. It's challenging. It's lovely, though.
0: <laughs> How long is a typical one of these performances?
1: Uh, I, th- I want to say on the order of about an hour and a half. They've been offering longer performances. Um, you know, they really respond to the feedback of the participants, so. About an hour and a half. It's not an all day affair, but it's definitely enough to take people out of any funk they were in, maybe from from the hard uh, day at work. So yeah.
0: <laughs> now everybody else is relaxed. How, how are you feeling during this?
1: i'm I'm still on on point and I'm I'm watching the group like a hawk. you know, I, I kind of uh, they're like I said, they're a little freeform, so I just look for eye contact. I look for any kind of movement they're making. I get a little bit of a framework as far as what they're going to do ahead of time, but just like any live situation or uh, filmmaking or a concert, music concert, you know, you're, you gotta be there and, you know, be participating in their performance. And it's more than a matter of just setting things up. We have to sort of build this sort of picture for the participants, building sort of a sonic picture. And it's nice when it has movements and peaks and valleys and all that, you know, I I like to kind of, maintain some dynamic range. And uh, yeah, I, you know, love to do it.
0: That's great. It sounds like you've worked on some very, you know, interesting projects. So what's your philosophy when it comes to working with a client for the first time?
1: Uh, for the first time, I, well, I, I try to get a feel for the client by looking at their previous work uh, or talking to other people in my network who may have worked with them uh, recently. Uh, everybody has their own style. So I, you know, I show up with a uh, a pretty easygoing attitude, and I, I I do as much prep work as I can. I have to say, you know, I think being a positive person and having kind of a professional attitude uh, is kind of step one. And you know, you want to figure out what their vision and goal is, and you know, express that you're committed to that vision and goal. And then, yeah, it's just a matter of rolling with it and being uh, flexible and being a problem solver. And I think if people see that. You know, you're you're in it to accomplish the same vision and goal. Then they're going to appreciate your work. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, are there any other favorite projects that uh, you'd like to talk about?
1: Favorite projects. Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of work in uh, corporate uh, with commercial clients, and occasionally, and maybe more often uh, than not, we'll bring someone in from the office or sort of an inexperienced actor. Uh, in to describe a product or service. So they can sometimes receive a limited direction or are kind of under the gun to do several takes of each element. So they may uh, naturally get nervous or something like that. So I feel that as a sound person, it's pretty rewarding for me to kind of give the nervous or inexperienced actor a bit of a sense of ease or some kind of comfort in a high stakes environment. So, you know, just having a good bedside manner and being professional and uh, being able to say, you know, how are you doing and, and take them out of the, the, the pressure zone is uh, it's pretty rewarding for me. Another one of my favorite experiences is working with food manufacturers or restaurants, of course, because all the free samples that we can pick up after, after the shoot. You got to love that. Kitchens, of course, are very noisy and kind of metallic places, so we got to watch out for that, but uh, love doing food work. More generally, I, I guess I could say that I really got into sound for video and film production because I love being part of the creative process and doing this kind of creative problem solving. And that's the main reason that I get a lot of satisfaction for my work.
0: That's nice. Well, how did you get started in production sound?
1: So I've been involved in sound since a really young age. I started as a musician like many others. I started recording bands and doing live sound work and uh, was an early adopter of computer-based recording, Cakewalk Studio, if anybody remembers that. I went on to study sound and sound production in college in Texas and then uh, additionally in Arizona. I still appreciate, of course, the Live Sound Reinforcement Handbook as an excellent uh, introduction into kind of the physics of sound and sound theory that can be applied to uh, any situation or system. When I moved to California in uh, 2005, I dove into producing music and working in local recording studios. But one of the big turning points for me that turned me towards production sound was during a training session I was doing. Uh, for Sennheiser microphones out at Skywalker Sound in Nicasio. And we had an opportunity to tour the studio, talk to different people in different departments. And I was just really blown away by the expertise and depth and dedication to sound for film that the Lucas Skywalker team uh, has. So uh, we got to meet uh, Leslie Ann Jones, who is a real master in her craft. And it was just an eye opening experience for me because. You could feel the camaraderie of the sound team and the real love that they put into this creative work. So, uh, you know, again, I've kind of lived my life as a fairly creative person. So realizing that I've kind of developed my career in more of a creative way. And so that's what ultimately drew me into uh, this uh, film and video making world.
0: All right. Yeah. Now, that's great. Having gone to Skywalker Ranch, that sounds like a lot of fun.
1: It's an amazing place. Uh, They have horses out there that you can ride and really nice gym and a pool. And it's, you know, you could live there if you wanted to. (laughs) And maybe people do. But yeah, they're a great team and they put out such excellent material. Yeah, they're a big inspiration for me. And uh, over the years, I've got to meet a a few of the staff uh, out there. So yeah, lovely folks. That's awesome.
0: Now, did you uh, do you have any mentors along the way that kind of helped you get started?
1: So, uh, as far as mentors, I would have a couple of Bay Area directors. One guy, one fellow out here named Ken Martini. He's an excellent uh, filmmaker. And I would say, in sound, I've mostly just picked up things on my own. Um, I definitely follow a lot of folks online. I I learn a lot through forums like JW Sound and other sort of Facebook groups and things like that. I'm really into the information sharing age that we're in. And I've kind of, in the sound world, I've just been, you know, mentored by the whole community in a way. That's kind of how I grew up uh, in this. So, yeah.
0: Now, uh, when you're actually wiring talent on set, do you have any expendables that you like to use on a regular basis?
1: Uh, I do. I mean, I have a bunch of, you know, stuff that I try to acquire expendables for, Relatively low cost. Um, I'm not into paying top dollar for equipment if I can find it used or a DIY substitute or otherwise. For example, the little foamies, I found that you can sort of make your own foamies out of like a makeup sponge or something like that. And so occasionally I'll use kind of a DIY solution. You know, as far as my go to solutions, I love the Ursa mini mounts, uh, the little lav mounts, uh, kind of the slick surface. Um, the bubble the uh, lav mounts, the kind of rubbery type, squarish ones. Really like those, and they fit the DPA mics, you know, perfectly. The Rycote overcovers. I really like to use those. They they definitely cover the kind of low to mid windy conditions. I would say those are kind of the go-to elements. And otherwise, it's just kind of anybody's game. I mean, I, I use all the standard tapes and sticky stuff that most folks do so nothing too special there all right
0: well uh tell us about your worst onset experience
1: Uh oh okay (laughs) i don't really have one particular horrible set experience that sticks out but i would say generally you know if we're working on a sort of an overworked day where we're really extending past you know 12 hours or so and there's no end in sight you know you can get it can get a little challenging and uh you know, what I, I try to do in those situations is just clear my mind, take a little break, take a breather if I can, get some water in me, take care of myself, just kind of reset, you know, as much as I can. A lot of projects that I've worked on have had, you know, you know, condensed timelines and things like that and not extremely high budgets. So, you know, when I'm ready to kind of call it a day, that doesn't necessarily mean that the production is ready to call it a day. So I'll I try to just remain flexible and, you know, listen into the DP and director and just follow my, follow my cues and be, be where I'm supposed to be, putting the mics in the right places. So I would say generally, yes, you know, super long days are kind of my worst experience. I fortunately haven't ever had a day where I I didn't roll when I was supposed to be rolling. Um, I know that has happened to some other folks in the past. I mean, there have been times when. I've worked, and cameras have been dropped on the ground, and we're going overtime. And it seems like everybody's having a bad day, but somehow, you know, people pull together and and get it done. Um, It's just kind of a a matter of you know sticking to it and uh, accomplishing what you need to accomplish, even if things are getting uh, overextended as far as the timeline. Um, It's for me, it's it's always better to do it. On the same day, if we can, instead of uh, shooting a second day or an additional day.
0: Now, uh, did you ever forget any gear when you were on the way to the set? And then what'd you do about it?
1: Uh, you know, it's a little rare that I forget gear. It has happened, uh, but generally I, I tend to overpack and uh, prepare for needs that haven't been anticipated in the contract or agreement. I have had a couple times where I didn't have a certain adapter or converter, something like that on hand. Uh, oh, one time I definitely left behind a, a locket box, uh, that was left on charge at that point. I was just able to kind of jam the camera. I try to find a workaround, but I always bring a backup of, uh, my recorder of some sort. I've been lucky enough to not see too many glitches with sound devices, recorders, uh, but I always have some sort of little portable backup recorder just in case.
0: All right. If you could go back and start all over again, what would you do different?
1: maybe live in LA for a long period of time. Uh, it seems like LA is a very big place and there's a very large and, and wonderful uh, sound community. There are great connections to be made. And there's also really a really tight knit community down there. Uh, you know, work in a couple of different other cities like Atlanta, uh, New Orleans or New York or something like that, just to get a feel for what the different scenes are, are doing before I was kind of locked into Uh, living in one particular area. I would say, you know, I I love living in the Bay Area. We've got a lot going on for us. It's a great place to do film and video projects. So definitely hit me up if uh, your crew is out here. Uh, Love to work with you.
0: All right. Now, if some of our listeners were just getting started in the industry, what kind of advice would you give them?
1: I would say maybe look into the fundamentals and, and kind of physics of sound. Because if you know... Sort of uh, some things about sound fundamentals and physics, you'll be able to kind of apply that knowledge just about anywhere you go. I would say definitely do as much work as you can and really focus on networking and and meeting some great people who can support you as you grow. Maybe look for a mentor too. You know, I think a mentor could have helped me at some point. I'm a, a bit more of an independent contractor and I do work on smaller sound teams from time to time. But uh, it's good to have somebody show you the ropes and uh, and work all that out uh, before you just dive into working on set. Again, sort of positivity and having a professional attitude and and working well with others and being a team player is really critical in this industry. You know, growing as a person is is very helpful too. Just to uh, work well with with others and working in deadlines.
0: All right. Well, Jesse, as we kind of start to wrap things up, what's the best way for people to connect with you online?
1: Best way to connect with me online is probably either through email or through my website. Uh, my email address is soundmixersf at gmail.com. And my website is www.elephantearaudio.weebly.com. And yes, I'm still using Weebly. (laughs) It's a free service, so it works for me. You know, all my contact information is there. There are some Facebook groups that I'm involved with, too. I'm in the North Bay uh, Sound Mixers Gmail group as well. Uh, So, yeah, hopefully people can can find me through my website.
0: All right, great. Well, I want to say thanks to Jesse Mills for being on the show today. Reach out and talk to him.
1: Thanks very much, Michael. It was a real treat to, to talk with you, and I appreciate all that you do for the sound community, uh, your connection and representation as a department, and this real deep uh, education you're providing for everyone. So, Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right. Take care. And a big thanks to all of our listeners out there. If you'd
0: like us to discuss a particular topic, please send us an email at locationsoundpodcast at gmail.com. We would love for you to subscribe and leave us a comment. We're available on Apple Podcasts, and for Android users, check out Google Podcasts. Also, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, sound is half the picture.